0: Fashion freaking matters. It matters to the economy, to society, and to each of us personally. Faster than anything else, what we wear tells the story of who we are or who we want to be. Fashion is the most immediate and intimate form of self-expression. Now that is actually from Francis Corner's Why Fashion Matters, albeit slightly ad-libbed by myself. But this quote in a nutshell is why I love fashion. My name is Annalise Days and welcome to Oh My Days, What Are We Wearing? The eight part series that is all about the F word. I talk about my 20 plus years working in the fashion industry, including my two time brush with a certain reality show. I'll be your own personal hype girl, giving you practical advice on how to make it in fashion. Whether your runway is the kitchen, the office or your local high street. I dish out my own dose of look-good, feel-good philosophy while discussing topics and dynamics that are super important to the fashion industry. Welcome to the first ever episode of Oh My Days, What Are We Wearing? Now, I wanted to get this topic out of the way nice and early as it is still up there in terms of what people ask me most about even though it was over a decade ago. Can you guess what it is? Yep, it is the ins and outs of my time on Britain's and America's Next Top Model. I'm going to cover it all here, answering questions like how did I find the audition process, what was Tyra Banks really like, did being on the show help my career in any way and so much more. Now, I was the biggest fan of America's Next Top Model from the time it started airing back in 2003. It still blows my mind that Tyra Banks actually knows my name, even though she did say it pretty funny. Anyway, there was nothing on TV like it at the time, and I had all the aspirations and dreams of being a full-time model. My model journey actually started when I was 12 years old, when I practically forced my way into the industry. Without my parents knowing, I took some photos of myself in a photo booth in the then Safeways, which is now Morrison's supermarket. I found a child model agency in the Yellow Pages, Scallywags, I remember it well, and snail-mailed my photos to them with a handwritten letter. This is all very much showing my age. A few weeks later, I got a response in the mail asking me to come into the office, and of course I forced my parents to take me. From there, I started modelling for teen magazines and various commercial brands. One of my first jobs was modelling teen fashion on This Morning, and I vividly remember strutting myself down the mini runway like I was Naomi Campbell. Even as a 12-year-old, I was doing too much. I worked pretty well, doing cute teen jobs here and there. But when I was about 15, 16, I found it hard to transition to an adult modelling agency. I got nose left, right and centre, with the main comment being that I wasn't tall enough. I started to think, maybe modelling wasn't for me. Meanwhile, the British version of America's Next Top Model started airing. And of course, as any aspiring model would do, I applied every year. And this one year, I got a response to my application. I was gassed. The auditions were held at the nearby Sadler's Wells Theatre, which was actually a place I knew pretty well from when I used to dance. The familiar space was welcomed, as everything else at this audition was pretty intimidating. Gorgeous girls lined the corridors, and the first thing we were required to do was to get our height measured. I'm already panicked. I'm definitely not the tallest. In fact, I think I was at the minimum height requirement. I stretched my spine as they measured me and I hoped that my fro would add some much-needed centimetres. We were then ushered into a studio in groups and asked various questions by a panel of judges who were anonymous to us. Of course, I tried to razzle-dazzle them and I left the room saying to myself, smashed it. In the following weeks, I had a few phone interviews with the casting team and I mentally started packing my bags. Then the phone call came and they said I hadn't made it on the show. I was devastated. It was around Christmas time and it really did put a dampener on the season and I proceeded to eat and drink everything in sight. New Year's went by, and in the first few days of January 2009, I got another call from the production team. I figured it was just a follow-up call, but they asked me if I would still be available to take part in the show. Apparently, one of the girls lied about their age, meaning that they had a spot open for me. Of course, I said yes. And my experience on Britain's Next Top Model was definitely interesting. It was my first real TV experience, and honestly, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Sharing a house with girls you didn't know, a gruelling schedule of challenges and photo shoots that culminated every four days in an elimination, where judges Lisa Snowden, Milena Louis Mariette and photographer Huggy Ragnarsson would tear your photo apart. Well, that's what it was like for me anyways, although they did sometimes have good things to say. Elimination was the most terrifying part. When you watch the show, it looks like it's only 10 minutes long, but in reality, it's hours long. Standing on the stage, shaking in your heels, waiting for your turn with the judges. Then you'd get sent to the green room while the judges deliberated, which again could be an hour or more. When a girl got eliminated, I kid you not, it felt like they were dying. And that's just because of the mental state that they keep you in throughout the show. You end up getting super close with the other girls. You're isolated from your friends and family. And you can only make the odd phone call when they allowed it and of course filmed it. You had no access to the internet or outside world in any way. And even when we were in public spaces, they kept us isolated tensions were high and stress levels were even higher. If you poked me, I probably would have broke down in tears. So when you watch these shows and you see these girls crying for no reason, just keep that in mind. The trauma, the scrutiny and the judgment is real. Despite my fragile mental state, I'd say that I really enjoyed my time on the show. It was my final year of uni at the time, and I was writing my dissertation about reality TV. So I was really observant and paid close attention to the production and how the crew operated, which I personally found fascinating. As a media studies student, I was very aware of the power of editing, and that editors could make you look like whatever they wanted when they have hours of footage of you. In this case, I think that worked to my detriment as I always thought twice before I spoke instead of just letting the natural me flow out. On the show, I think I came across rather cocky and arrogant, and I believe that's because I would rather fake confidence than let my insecurities do the talking. But as I said, overall, it was an amazing experience. I felt that it really tested me as a model, putting me in different photo shoot settings. We travelled to Iceland and shot at the famous Blue Lagoon, worked with some amazing photographers and was gifted so much stuff while filming that I needed another suitcase to go home with, which they also gifted us. My highlights would be the shoot that we did for simple skincare, posing in a bath full of mangoes and the challenge I won where we got interviewed by Johnny Vaughan on Capital FM and he had to choose his fave interviewee. Obviously, I nailed it with all of that Annalise personality. My elimination came and it was definitely my time. The judges kept saying that my photos didn't match my personality and that I should think about toning myself down accordingly. That was never going to happen, even if I tried, so I was happy to go, placing seventh in the competition. I continued to model and finally got myself an agent who actually said no to me many times before I appeared on the show. And I thought that was it for my top model experience. How wrong I was. It was only a couple years later when I got a call from the production company who made BNTM. They told me that another production company were trying to get in contact with me and if it was okay to pass on my details. Of course, I said no problem. Dealing with that production company was like dealing with a mysterious beast. They refused to be open about what TV show they were casting for, but at the same time gave you the impression that it was a huge deal. I was slapped with a pile of paperwork to fill out and sign that included a lengthy non-disclosure form. And finally, I was told it was for America's Next Top Model, British Invasion. The show involved models from past seasons of BNTM competing against American models for the title. And pretty quickly, I was flown to LA. I honestly had no clue what I was letting myself in for. Upon landing, I bumped into some other models from my season and others and we were bundled into a van, taken to a hotel and put into individual rooms that we were told we couldn't leave under any circumstances. Of course, we snuck around this slightly by passing notes under doors, trying to figure out who else was there. For the next few days, meals were brought to our rooms and we were escorted to various locations in the hotel for psychological tests and more interviews, where they made it clear that we had not yet made it on the show. We did our before makeover photo shoot and of course we were all thinking, what else could they need from us? Then it was the final interview with Tyra herself and a bunch of other people sitting at a panel-like table as I stood in front of them. Wow. What a moment. Definitely shows that everything happens for a reason. I reminded myself that if it wasn't for that girl who lied about her age, then I wouldn't be standing in front of Tyra Banks. And of course, we were eventually told we'd made it. The American version of the show was a whole next kettle of fish. It was glossier, bigger and better in every aspect, from the mansion we stayed in, the calibre of celebrities we met, the photo shoots we did and the countries we visited. Us British girls milked it dry. We defo had an advantage with understanding how the format worked. This gave us a bit of confidence and we gave them everything when it came to the interviews we had to do every four days giving them one-liners and funny comments and perspectives that we knew the producers and editors would eat up. That's not to say it wasn't daunting. We had expectations to fill. And us Brits didn't do that well in the first few weeks, with models from our side being sent home first. ANTM was defo shinier than BNTM. And apart from that, I'd say the only difference was that when girls got eliminated, they didn't go home. They were actually taken to a hotel and basically had to follow us wherever we filmed so that the press wouldn't be able to figure out who got eliminated. Who knew the US press was invested in top model like that? The eliminated girls were called bogeys, and of course we never saw them. But we did get the odd story from our wranglers who indicated that was really the reality show that should be filmed. I'll say no more. And just to go back to those interviews that happened every four days, I think it's important to note that we had to look the same every time we did these. Same hair, makeup and top, so that they could chop these interviews up and edit them into wherever they wanted in the series. Meaning that our comments were often taken out of context. For some reason, this didn't scare me the second time round. I vowed just to be myself and not to edit myself like I did on Britain's Next Top Model. Whatever came out of my mouth was what it was. And it worked out pretty well for me. I think I came off really funny and bubbly and more like my real self. The journey definitely wasn't easy. I was always somewhere in the middle of the pack. Nowhere near the best of the week, but also never in the final two. The main comment from the infamous judges... I just see you as a presenter more than a model. Music to my ears, to be honest. For judges, we of course had Tyra, photographer Nigel Barker, Kelly Catrone, PR Maven, who really didn't like me much, and the Jays, Miss J and J Manuel, who were around for various challenges and photo shoots, acting as mentors. Tyra was pretty lovely. From what we saw of her anyway, she only came to visit us once in the mansion when there was about 10 models left, And apart from that, we only saw her at Elimination. There was this one time where we were filming Elimination in Macau and it was so hot. The aircon wasn't working and Tyra told the production team to let us sit down on the stage in between filming because clearly we were dying. That's probably one of my only clear memories of her, really. But from my experience, she was polite and friendly, despite what's said about her in the media today. That brings me to the controversy. Tyra and the Top Model franchise, which, may I remind you, had almost 50 versions across the globe, with ANTM being aired in over 120 countries, has faced major backlash in recent years. The show did not age well at all. Tyra and the producers have been accused of preying on young, impressionable girls' past traumas and insecurities. Telling models they were too fat or needed to get their teeth fixed. Wild photo shoots that brought up discussions of cultural appropriation and full-blown racial discrimination. In one episode on my season, a focus group commented that they didn't like one of the gorgeous black models' African accent. Which of course is highly offensive, but also just outright ignorant, especially if she was actually British. I personally... Don't blame Tyra or the producers for this. Okay, maybe a little. But I think it's mainly down to the fact that times have changed. What was once was seen as acceptable is now highly offensive and would warrant a HR department getting involved. I can only speak for myself. And I personally didn't feel particularly used or abused by the show and what it stood for. And I still consider Top Model as a highlight in my career. Yeah, They did things for entertainment value. Picking your best photo is just a whole bunch of poppycock. I believe that production picked your photo based on where they wanted you to fall in the lineup that week. I say this because on many occasions we watched girls do their photo shoots knowing that they did well and being completely shocked when we saw an appalling photo they'd chosen. But I had great moments. Some of my fave would be winning diamonds for myself and the other British girls, which happened to be on that same challenge where the African accent comment was made shooting on the platform of the Macau Tower in torrential weather. I loved it because my photo was particularly good that week and I got praise from the judges. And I definitely can't leave out my 25th birthday when I did a shoot sitting on Kris Jenner's lap with Kylie and Kendall in the background. How could I not cherish those memories? My elimination was also one to remember. And without tooting my trumpet too much... I'd say that it was one of the best eliminations in top model history. I placed third to those of you who don't know. I managed to win over the judges and really surprise them with what this not-so-tall presenter-like model could do. I hugged all the judges while covering my booty in this very short dress, making everyone laugh, and I strutted off the set with sass and grace. I feel really lucky to have made it through two eliminations without leaving the show bitter or feeling like it wasn't my time. I gave an uplifting final interview, and I'm really proud of myself for that. Now, does Top Model teach you about the real modelling industry or help you with your career going forward? I'd say not really, but also a little yes. The show made it seem like as a working model, you wouldn't have the choice in doing any of the extreme things asked of you. So not true. In my 20 plus years as a model, I've never been asked, out of the top model experience, to shoot with bugs, spiders, dangle off of buildings, be drenched in maple syrup. It just doesn't happen. And if for some reason my agency brought a brief like this to me, I would totally have the option to refuse. And as you know, I wasn't catapulted into stardom after the show aired. I still had to put in the graft and still do for every job I get. But I will say that it taught me transferable skills, like being able to take criticism, understanding how to deal with competition, and the confidence I gained from this extreme modelling assault course are all things that have indeed helped me with my career thus far. And I think it's safe to say that I wouldn't be the woman I am today without Tyra Banks and the franchise she created. If you have any questions about my experience on America's Next Top Model or Britain's Next Top Model, please do get in touch. I actually did a whole bunch of reaction and recap videos from my time on the show. I even interviewed some of the top model girls, so you can head over to my YouTube channel to check that out. And of course, I'm open to any other questions or comments you may have, whether that's about getting into modelling, the fashion or presenting industry. My DMs are always open at Annalise Days. Now, this part of the episode, I'm calling Fashion Flashback. It's where I take you on a brief journey on the history of some of our favourite items of clothing. And for episode one, I've chosen the classic that is the white shirt. The white button-down shirt dates back to the 1800s and it was only worn as an undergarment. It was hidden under waistcoats and often you could only see the cuff and the collar, especially when worn with jackets. It was seen as a symbol of status with only the wealthy at first being able to wear them, mainly because obviously the wealthy don't work so they were the only ones that were able to keep it clean. Yeah, even I struggled to keep my white shirts clean. I struggled to keep white anything clean, to be fair anyway in the 1900s it became a growing symbol of the office working class and that's where we started to see the distinction between white collar workers which was like office and corporate and then the blue collar workers which was more manual and their shirts were navy. In 1924 IBM this massive technology company actually demanded a dress code that included that all employees had to wear the classic white shirt. This was like our big deal because they were like a proper big company and i think it really showed a lot but then in the 1950s that's when it started to get juicy um with the introduction of post sex shirts uh-huh mm-hmm. uh, this was a cinematic trick in films to imply that sex had taken place yeah so it was the first time the audiences saw women in white shirts borrowed from their conquests the night before we have all watched this scene in a film before Although now that I think about it, I don't think I've actually ever done it. Like maybe like wearing your boyfriend's like old T-shirt, but never like a fresh white shirt. Oh, no. Anyway, um, post-sex shirts um, coincided with the second wave of feminism by women wearing their men's shirt. It kind of symbolized independence and sexual freedom and also a desire for gender equality. Just because men were seen as like professional and were taken seriously and their clothing kind of reflected that. But I've actually got a case study for you. In the 1980s, shirt brand Van Hoosen, I hope I'm saying that right, launched a commercial selling shirts with the tagline for a man to wear and a woman to borrow it was a proper little sassy advert women wearing men's shirts doing like normal tasks brushing their hair opening the fridge etc and each one had their own line one says if you think i look good in this van hoosen you should see jeffrey okay then honey with the sass i actually put the link in the show description below i think it's actually worth a watch It's also important to note that the white shirt was a reoccurring theme in model iconography, with all the great supermodels shooting in them, like Cindy Crawford, Kate Moss, Linda Evangelista, and the list goes on. And they all created these really iconic images. But yeah... Nowadays, women aren't just wearing men's shirts. There are so many fabulous brands and designers creating white shirts for women. But I think that women's fashion will always play around with masculinity, whether that's suits, blazers, T-shirts. And you've got to remember, even trousers at one point were seen as super revolutionary. Thank you so much for listening to episode one of Oh My Days, What Are We Wearing? It was so nice to have you along for my debut episode. Please do subscribe to my podcast. I've got lots more fashion topics to cover. Tell a friend, share the love, and I'll be back next time.